The sun is shining. We're in the middle of a sensational summer of sport. Football, football, and more football. What could be better? As the World Cup was to set to a, a thrilling conclusion, will the Germans move on the argue? Will Messi leave the crowd stunned by the wreckage? Who knows? But now the players are returning back to Melwood. Brendan Rodgers is a task on the shopping spree. No, it's not players, but Emma Khan has used all of, all of Hendo's hair gel. And rumour has it, Jose Enrique has had, had an accident that's taken out Liverpool's entire collection of training phones. Pascal is in mourning. We've got all this and more. It's the Anfield Index podcast. Hello and welcome to the Anfield Index podcast. Tonight on the show, we've gone for a collaboration. There's no gags, thank fuck for that. But there's me, Dave Hendrick. And joining us from the now infamous bunker, I won't tell you its real name, we've got the dynamic <laughs> duo Trevor Downey and Phil Casey from the Day Trippers. Boys, welcome. It's great to have you on the show. John, how are you? Good to join you, John. We're good. In fact, Trez, I'm, I'm not fucking good. I'm not fucking good because Alexis Sanchez to Arsenal is confirmed. So, Trev, who's shooting who first? I'm, I'm here. I'm available. Just shoot me. That, no, no. Take take a step back, Johnny. We, we knew this was coming. The the amount of uproar, the, the, the level of the meltdown on Twitter at the moment is terrifying. I don't understand what's wrong with people. It was pretty much signposted for quite a while now. Uh, the player himself never made any positive sounds about Liverpool. There was talks of meetings between Wenger and his agent weeks ago. So, to be honest... I think, John, it's a little bit of an overreaction at this stage. I'd never really any massive hopes of him coming to, to Liverpool um, and being resident at Anfield. I mean, would you would you not concur with that? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I just think, number one, I think the meltdown's a complete overreaction. I completely agree. I mean, the core thing for me is, is that we just could... It, I suppose it reaffirms where Liverpool is. Because on a number of levels, you know, last season we couldn't sign players because we weren't in the Champions League, all right? This year, we can sign players because we're in the Champions League, but we can't seem to get the quality of players that we want. Now, Sanchez has went to Arsenal because of Arsene Wenger, presumably. He's got a much, much higher profile than Brendan Rodgers. He's probably went for 16, 17 years of consecutive qualification. You know pretty much Arsenal are always going to be there, um, even though they, they've had a couple of scares over the last couple of years, have still managed that consistency. And, and frankly, Liverpool just aren't there yet. And I think... There's maybe got to be that sense of expectation and sense of realisation. Phil, I suppose that you can see why the player didn't want to come. Yeah, look, it's very hard to separate the fact that we're Liverpool fans and, and you know, it, it will be a lifelong dream for any of us to, to play for the club, right? So when, when a player openly turns us down for another club in England, there's going to be a bit of a negative reaction to it because it's hard for us to see the logic as to why they do it. But let's be honest about it. London is one of the mega cities of the world. You know, when, when you think of London, it's London, New York, York, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's those really old sort of historic cities. There's the bright lights, there's the golden paths, there's, 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 there's puss and boots and there's all sorts of stuff, right? And um, obviously, his, it, you know, the, the talk is that the wife wanted to live in London and if she had to live, it was either mm. going to be Italy or London that she wanted to live in. And, you know, at the end of the day, even though they're multi-million pound players, Family life is going to be important to them as well. They spend an awful lot of time with their family away from football, and you you want your missus to be happy. Sure, that was one of the reasons why Mascherano cited that he wanted to leave Liverpool was that his wife could never settle in England, and they wanted to go somewhere that was more Mediterranean and more similar to home. So, look, I know people don't accept that as an excuse, but you know you have to sort of look at it from that point of view. One other thing I'd say, John, is Wenger was out in Brazil 
and it was as as Trev said, it was it was mentioned maybe a week or so before the World Cup started. He'd already met the agent of Alexis Sanchez. Arsenal looked to be really pushing hard to sign him. So you know, it's that little bit of extra effort that maybe swayed towards the player. That look, these guys came up fucking all the way around the world to make the effort to sign me, and that could be a big thing where we possibly missed out on because I know we we didn't really have a presence in terms of management or or even what it seemed to be club officials out with the actual World Cup itself. Dave, it's, it's a good point by Phil. I mean, obviously Brendan's had, had a bit of a holiday. He was clear over in Boston to chat to the owners. Do, do you think that potentially we've missed a trick here? Well, as like as Phil mentioned, Rogers didn't go to the World Cup. Wenger was been pictured on the beach in Brazil when Rogers had been pictured in the park in Formby. So Rogers was taking care of business back at home. Wenger was obviously over there to meet Sanchez's agent. But you have to remember, Arsenal went for Sanchez last summer as well. And they tried to get him when he left Udinese. Wenger's been chasing this guy for a long, long time. Liverpool fans need to get used to the fact that Arsenal are a bigger draw than us at the minute. They have been for the last 20 years, uh, frankly. Wenger's a far, far bigger draw to overseas players than Brendan Rodgers. Brendan Rodgers has had one top four season. Wenger's had, what, 16 in a row, three league titles, an undefeated season, blah, blah, blah. Arsenal are a bigger draw than we are at the minute. Phil made a point, I think Tony Evans was the one that said Sanchez's wife wanted to live in London First of all, Sanchez doesn't have a wife. He's not married. He does have a long-term girlfriend, but I've no idea why she'd want to live in Italy, as Tony claimed, given he met her in Barcelona, as she's from Barcelona. Those are just two little myths that kind of came up in the press during the week. They sound like their excuses coming out of the club because the club don't want to admit that they've just lost a player to Arsenal because Arsenal are a bigger draw. The one thing I will say, it is nice to see us actually going for players like Alexis Sanchez. That shows at least a bit of ambition. Uh, unlike a lot of our other targets who, who don't really show that level of ambition. Sanchez is a very, very good player. He's not a world-class player. He's become overrated a little bit because of the World Cup. There wasn't this mad clamour to sign him three or four months ago. Do you know what I mean? He's a, he's a very good player. He's probably at the level Suarez was when we signed him, but then he's about two years older than Suarez was when we signed him. He will get better. I don't know if he'll reach the level Suarez eventually got to with us. It's possible that he could. Obviously, it does hurt missing out on a great player. Like, like he is, he's going to be a top, top player. He could be the best player in the league next year if you know if he settles well and, and things go go well for him. And you, you do have to hand it to Arsenal. You know, like it, they went and got Osa last summer. I know he'd a hit and miss season, but now they've gone and got Sanchez. That's two top, top signings. The type of signings we're not making, and that's where the gulf is between the clubs at the minute. And, you know, for Arsenal, it, I think for them it solidifies their place in the top four next year. I think them, City and Chelsea have three to four spots locked down. And now, with us losing Suarez, I think the gap that was between us and the chase in three, which would be Spurs, United and Everton, is is minimal, if if even exists. So so whilst we try and get away from some of the doom and gloom, if at all possible, we'll come back on to Suarez later have a little look at our, our kind of pre-season. But I wanted to maybe start off with a little bit of a game from everybody. So hopefully everybody's prepared. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the fucking Irish boys have done it again. <laughs> <laughs> so Tre- maybe... Trev has just going to agree with me, John. And then that's like a, uh... a tag team. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I, I heard Trev's um, 
very articulate prediction on Brazil, you know, and I, th- I think if he can do that, you know, yeah. clearly he was vastly wrong, but uh, <laughs> Thanks, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he can name 11 footballers, you'll be fine. Oh, uh, that, that wasn't condescending at all from either of you fuckers, all. thanks a lot. <laughs> cheers, cheers. Yeah. Well, who's your best 11 players from the World Cup so far? Okay, mine, mine, there's a couple of personal choices and then there's obviously some who've stood out. So in goal... Because remember, we've got our best 11 and yeah. then our best Premiership 11, yeah? Yeah, we might struggle for me when we get to the best Premiership 11 because I could only pick six players. But anyway, right, so... <laughs> I'm, the, the best 11, Nower. I think he's redefining goalkeeping again. You know, he's one of these once-in-a-generation goalkeepers. The way he plays, the way he's so quick off his line, the way he dominates his box, the way he just dominates the, 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 the final tour of the pitch. We talk about goalkeepers dominating the 18 yard box but the guy is just phenomenal um, like it's, it's he, he's actually a sweeper in that team and especially when Mertesacker plays he's the one that cleans up the mess because Mertesacker is so slow and, and it's the, the other teams tend to target it right back Germany have found a bit of form since they moved Philip Lamb to right back and there's a reason for that he's the best right back in the world and stands for itself my own personal choice is the first one, Fabian Schär, the right centre back of Switzerland. I thought he had an excellent World Cup, and he's a player. He's a young player that, if we were in for, I'd definitely be excited about that. Mats Hummels again, another German. He's been brilliant. Um, you know, he he's, he's probably he's the leader in the German defence uh, outside of Noah, and he's he hasn't put a foot wrong in this World Cup. Warning sign though is that Matt does tend to have one big high profile error, especially in finals, so don't be surprised to see something happen on Sunday. Another person, I thought Armero of Colombia had a great World Cup at left full. Um, the whole Colombian team actually did really well. It's such a disappointment to see them getting kicked off the park by the Brazilians. The midfield, we're doing Mascarano, Schweinsteiger, and I'm playing Hamed, so it's really a two and a one. To use a Brendanism. Oh yeah, the two and the one. So yeah, Mascarano is like, look at lads. You, you, we all saw the semi final last night. He, the the match winning tackle against Robin, and um, as was revealed today, he actually tore his anus making the tackle. Mm. Yeah, he played an immense pain for the for extra time. Tasty, right? Um, Super. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Schweinsteiger doesn't need look. He didn't start off the World Cup, and again, Germany have looked a better team since he come in, in in the the knockout phases. Hamed player of the World Cup for me and then up front I've gone with Robin Suarez and Neymar all three of those players uh, responsible for their teams doing what they did in the World Cup and even though Suarez bit someone between the England game and even his influence on the Italy game up until then he actually stood out for me as probably the standout forward in the World Cup Neymar says it already as soon as he doesn't play Brazil and get knocked out and there's absolutely nothing about that team and Robin the, the whole Dutch plan was to get Robin to uh, get the ball to Robin and let Robin do some magic didn't work last night but that's about it so that's my 11 and Trev what about you mate uh, right Navas uh, as the uh, form keeper of the tournament for me and also because we were linked with him and I still have some slight hopes that we might actually uh, do some sort of a deal there no matter how uh, tenuous that is at the moment uh, left back probably Ricardo Rodriguez of the of the players that I've seen um, and, and enjoyed during the tournament uh, there's also possibly a little bit of past form feeding into that right back a little bit of a funny shout here I enjoyed the performance of DeAndre Yedlin immensely in, in the game that he played and also enjoyed the, play, the the performance of makeshift right back Dirk Kout so it would be very much between the two of those with the fact that Yedlin's maybe more dedicated uh, performer there edging it out just on you know the tournament basis alone centre halves again for me for the tournament the two that had the most presence that I enjoyed watching the most were probably Hummels and Silva 
I thought Silva was 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 a lot calmer than people gave him credit for, and he's a lot better footballer than people gave him credit for, uh, and a real leader in that side. And you know he's missing, and they just go to shit. And Hummels is just a, a class act. Uh, midfield, I've got Mash anchoring it. I like Quadrado. I thought he was excellent uh, during the, during the tournament, and it'd be a toss up then between Pogba and Schweini for me to to fill out that midfield uh, again. Hadn't really massive opinions about Pogba before the World Cup, but I thought he was impressive in that tournament. Uh, and a front three, which just kind of doesn't require a whole lot of explanation, of Robin, who was the form player, I think, for the entire tournament. Uh, Muller, who's not far behind him, and Rodriguez, who's not far behind him. They'd be my three up top. Interesting. You both went for Robin. Mm. We'll mm. come back to that. <laughs> okay. Dave, <laughs> Dave, what's your 11? Well, I, I decided to go with a... Uh like a 3-4-1-2 type shape. Like Trev, I went with Navas in goal. To be fair, Phil has called it, Neuer's the best keeper in the tournament. He's the best keeper in the world. But I just think Navas stands out a little more in this tournament because of what's in front of him and the expectation level. I thought he was sensational. And for me, he, you know, he's earned a big move. Just a quick mention to Carol Matchett, who told me about six months ago to keep an eye on him. He's been watching him for a while. Mm. My three centre-backs, I've gone Hummels, Thiago Silva and Aaron Mamadou Sacco. I think Sacco was, was outstanding for France and I think his influence on that French defence, including on Rafa Varane, was most telling when Sacco was off the field and Koscielny, the allegedly you know, world-class defender, uh, came on and France's defence fell apart. Uh, similarly with Germany, when Hummels wasn't on the pitch and Mert Sacco was, they looked a bit of a shambles at the back. And Thiago Silva, I mean, he was carrying that Brazilian defence. Like, he's been partnered by Dante, who's mediocre. The fullbacks, Mike Holm was finished years ago. Gareth Bale ended his career for him. Just nobody told him. Uh, Marcelo can't defend to save his life. And, like, Danny Alves played a couple of games. And he's looked past it for the last 18 months or so. I've kind of cheated a little bit. I couldn't think of an outstanding left back. Rodriguez was good and Blind has impressed me for the Dutch. But I've shifted Lamb across to left wing back. And because he's, he's the best full back in the world on either side. And I know he's played right back, but he's a proven left back as well. I've gone Cuadrado, the Colombian, at right wing back. He, he was outstanding for me. One of my highlights of the World Cup was watching Eamon Dunphy call him a headless chicken and then one week later calling him one of the best players in the tournament. In centre midfield, I went for Mascherano. He's just been incredible. The tackle on Robin was just sensational. You can tell that the time he spent playing centre-back for Barca has really helped him with his timing and his reading of the game. Uh, beside him, I've gone for Vidal, who I, I thought impressed in a number of games. Had a, had one or, like, Had one poor game, but... I thought when he was on form, Chile looked pretty devastating. I went for, I'm going to call him James Rodriguez because I'm not an idiot. I'm like the fella on uh, RTE who keeps calling him James. James Rodriguez. James or James Rodriguez. Outstanding player of the tournament for me. Just looks a different class. And up front, I've gone for Thomas Muller, who's the most intelligent man in the world. And at this moment in time is currently... I've got Muller is the most intelligent player in the world. I think he may be the most intelligent man in the world. I've, I've heard rumours that he's currently writing up a plan to solve world death. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I went with Robin over Messi up front beside him, purely because I think Robin overall has impacted games more throughout the course of the games, whereas I think Messi has largely been quiet in games and then exploded to help them win the games. And I know that's, you know, winning games is what it's all about, but just on ter in terms of overall performances, I went with Robin, despite the fact that I absolutely despise him. So 
yeah, that's my 11. And we're going to go for Premier League 11 now. So, Dave, Ooh. your Premier League 11. <laughs> can this be a combined effort? Can we, can we, can we do this as a team group, John? Because I'm struggling here, Chief. Oh, well, I'll tell you what, c- combined then. Combined. <laughs> so you, let, let, Dave, let Dave kick it off. Sorry, go ahead. Right, well, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll go Hugo Lloris in goals because I think he's been pretty good for France. And I can't really think that there's another option bar Tim Krul, and I'm not going to pick him because he's a shithouse. Hang on, hang on. What, what about... Um, Howard. Howard. You know, even had no. a call from the president, mate. No, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed. <laughs> he got a call from Barack Obama. I, I, and then he refused to hug Barack, a fan Barack, at the airport. Classic. Barack Obama rings everybody. That's just, <laughs> just his thing. He's a nice guy. You, you know right, what, actually, he's a listener. You're, you're probably right. Tim Howard, probably it was better. Um, I didn't even think of him, to be honest. So yeah, we'll go Tim Howard, fuck it. Centre back, Sacco is definitely one. <laughs> this this is the problem. <laughs> do you know what do you know what Dave? I actually had to I had to push poor old mama out to the left hand side because I couldn't think of a left back that wasn't Evra. So I have him as my left back and I have Murta Sacker and uh, company as my centre half. Oh, company's a good shout because yeah. I thought company played well, especially considering that moron that manages the Belgian team played him out of position so that he could include the fossil that is uh, Daniel Van Boyden who should have retired years ago. Yeah, that's that's um, that's David Moyes in a, in a in a in a Mark Wilmot's mask, isn't it? Definitely. We're, we're, we're not David, better on this podcast at all. David Moyes with a better <laughs> suit is what that is. <laughs> See, now this is this is right. I started looking down and I was thinking, right, you get your back forward and what do you do at that point? You, you get to the midfield, right? So then your options start becoming very limited. Very are, limited. are you going to put Fellaini into that team? Not a fucking hell. No, no. <laughs> right? no. Then I, was think- I, 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 actually, I actually would put him in purely as an applause to the fact that he finally cut that ridiculous thing off his head. Now, he looks like an idiot without it, but he finally <laughs> cut it and, you know... Less of an got- idiot. I, I was actually thinking of going with six defenders. <laughs> just, just, just bringing Vertonghen into the team yeah. <laughs> Sabalele is right back for a yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyone basically that played in England that wasn't playing for England was was getting into this team at this stage who who would you have in midfield too? It's, it's tough I, I was thinking maybe giving a show for Hendo purely because of all the the English midfielders he was probably one that was acceptable I think he's taken a lot of flack because he was stuck playing in the two with Gerard. Look, mm. we all know that Gerard can't play in a two anymore. Yeah. And ev- everybody who's watched Liverpool play for the last year knows that he can't play in a two. He needs to be in a three. And Henderson was left, you know, carrying water for the entire tournament. And to be fair, he ran himself into the ground. Yeah. I would go... Henderson and Sterling are the only two English players I'm willing to accept. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, he, and even at that, Sterling was... Like, if you remember back... Sterling had a great game against Italy in the yeah, first match. Italy. And then that's, he, that's what I'm putting him in on. And then Hodgson stuck him on the left. Yeah, for the for the next game, which was just madness. Like, mm-hmm. and I think even um, most of the clued in England fans were saying, "What the hell is he doing moving Sterling out of the number ten position?" Because you know that's that's it. The the fans were watching it and saying, "Like, what are you doing that for?" And then the media were saying, "Oh, it's a great move putting Rooney back where he belongs," mm. as if as if Rooney has earned the right to do that, given his you know his staggering record of. One World Cup goal. <laughs> <laughs> could, could we give a shout to Karma Majani for being an ex Liverpool youth? Maybe he could, could he get <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like seriously, it's 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 very hard to pick. And then when you when you look to go up front, you're probably talking about Hazard. Well, you got Sanchez now. Hazard was one of the worst players in the tournament. I thought I was disgusted with how how poor he was. But then again, 
as we already mentioned, Mark Wilmot's David yeah. Moyes, the life of Eden Hazard. Yeah, yeah. but it, it, like we're dragging the barrel. Like you, you have to put Suarez in. Well, you've got Sanchez and Suarez now. They're there. Can we include? Can we include Origi, considering he's about to sign for Liverpool? Ah, you've got to have a Divock in your team. And do we, do we have... There's never, there's never been a bad man called Divock in fairness. <laughs> never, no. never, never. That's a good shout. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> has there been a man ever called <laughs> I suppose one of the reasons I put this on and and I know it was a slightly tricky one but it was it was deliberate and a, a slightly mischievous on my part was because there is this notion in people who don't watch football other than match of the day that the Premier League is the best league in the world now it was easy to name all these all these wonderful players, all these other kind of there were so many standout candidates like goalkeepers you probably had about three or four um, who've all been excellent and hardly any of them play in England yeah. and and I just wanted to open that out there I mean Dave, Phil I know you boys especially watch a lot of kind of football around the world I mean what, what what's your view is this the best league in the world or have we been proven that it's maybe slightly overhyped for me, John, I think that I, I, I think there's a, there needs to be sort of tempered a wee bit because, you know, when you think of the players who play in the Premiership who aren't at the World Cup, and even looking at ourselves and, and the likes of Coutinho wasn't picked for like that that Brazilian team would have done well. Well, that you could see a place for Coutinho in a side if it was being managed by a, a, like a, a reasonably modern manager. But Scalari is again is is an older style manager. His his time was around 02 and stuff when he won the World Cup, and that was mainly because he had three exceptional forwards and and we mentioned the previous but like I'm two, two of the best fullbacks ever yeah yeah and, Rafa, uh, Rafa and Carlos and know? when you look at that Brazilian team it's you know the, the, he was playing Moicon for Christ's sake in, in the semi-final <laughs> Moicon is older than Cafu you know what I mean than me <laughs> you know, he's older than me <laughs> <laughs> I think he played in the 1958 World Cup yeah he was there he was there yeah. <laughs> well actually seriously when I saw the Brazilian squad named and I saw Moicon I thought oh this must be like a younger version you know the way they, they generally get called the same name again yeah like, oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was saying, Moicon Ito and then when I saw him he actually looked like he'd arthritis on the pitch Yeah. like he couldn't run well the there is a centre-back called Moicon and that's initially who I thought it was mm. when I saw the list because somebody I think it was that Zizoology chap on Twitter. I think he tweeted the squad list and I saw it and I just assumed it was him. Mm. And then I saw the squad list later and it was Roma and I was like, oh, that's just a shocker. Like, you know, he did have a good season for Roma, in fairness, but Italian football is a much slower play pace and there's not exactly, you know, Gareth Bales and yeah. people yeah. like that charging up and down at you. Like, realistically, if you're picking players for this World Cup team, like Premier League, as we mentioned, Sterling, you're putting him in on the basis of one game. Mm. Luis Suarez, you're doing the same because he was brilliant against England. I didn't think he was great against Italy. And then he bit the fella and that was the end of that. So, <laughs> like, it's just, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say anybody, bar maybe Tim Howard and Sacco, and even Sacco missed a game. Mm. I wouldn't say there's anybody any Premier League player who has gone to the World Cup and had a great World Cup from start to finish, I just just don't see just don't see who who you could say. And for me, I don't think the Premier League is the best league in the world. I just think that's something Sky say so people give them money to watch football games. For me, the Bundesliga is the best league in, in the world, and I'd have a toss up between La Liga, the Premier League, and I think I'd go with La Liga because just you know the level of superstar you get to watch is just superior. The Premier League, defensively, it's horrific. Like, it's horrific. The only really good defender, proven really good defender in the Premier League, centre-back-wise, is company. After that, you're looking at a bunch of average defenders and the likes of Sacco, who, who aren't proven yet. 
and Zabalet is a brilliant right back, and Ivanovic is a good right back. But then again, you're looking at a bunch of unproven guys. Like the best left back in the Premier League is Leighton Baines, who can't defend to save his life. But come here, it, it, there's, there's a thought that I've had around this as well. Is is, is it potentially that you know? The, the players in the Premiership may be overplayed a bit because, you know, it's not like it's just, you know, going back to the likes of Hazard, or is it just the case that they're playing in teams that have poor managers? Like, for me, I was thinking, imagine if Brendan Rodgers had had that England squad. I definitely think they would have performed to a, a much higher standard than they did in the actual World mm. Cup itself. They or, certainly or, would have been braver. Yeah. But see, the thing for me with this World Cup is it's, I think it's been defined largely by teams. Like, if you look at the first round of group, group games, you'd struggle to pick a poor one. There was like one or two that weren't great, but you'd struggle to say that game was appalling for any of that first round of group games because nobody had any fear. But after that, there's, there's a definite, like, it's, for me, it's been defined by teams not wanting to lose. Teams going out, set up. Look at the game last night. That was two teams that went out. And job number one was do not lose this game of football. It wasn't go and win this game. It was do not lose this game of football. And for me, there's just been far too much of that. And that's, for me, what a lot of it is in the Premier League. is You, you do get a little bit too much, like, let's not lose this game. Like Sam Allardyce, Moyes, for example. Like, that's fine when you're at, at Everton, but when you step up to you know, a moderately big club in Salford. You, you can't go out with that kind of mentality. I, you're spot on, Phil. The players are overplayed in England. There needs to, I think there needs to be a winter break. How many, you look at every top league has a, has a winter break. You look at Osel last year, and it was clear he got hurt in about mid-November, started to drop off, and he was just knackered by, by the middle of January. He needed a break because he was used to having that break. He'd had it all his career. And it's, it's another reason why a lot of players don't want to come to England is because they don't want to play over Christmas, especially not in a country that's as cold and as wet as England is over Christmas. But then, you know, the whole Christmas programme is a huge part of English football that we've all been sold down the years. Isn't it great? You play four games in, in 10 days and that's fine. But if you look at us last season, we played four games in 10 days and that hangover then followed us for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. you know, through to the Villa game really. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's the best. I think overall the quality is, is relatively poor in the Premier League. There's individually great players that can carry a team. Whereas I think if you look at the Bundesliga, it's just better coaching, better defences, better keepers, better tactics and more balance and less individual nonsense. I think the other thing is as well is that what, what, what's kind of defined maybe England for me as, as opposed to it's an easy one to pick but as opposed to like a Germany for example is that the players that Germany picked were relatively in form and in Germany I've done so well to get to this final considering that the kind of midfield options were really decimated beforehand you know they've not got any bender they haven't had other players there that um, I think Lowe was counting on and they have had to sort of bring in some of the youth the other key thing is is that if you look at I think you referenced it before Dave with Rooney Rooney's not on in that squad on form. He's he, he's not in there on form, and and if you're looking at again comparing that to Germany, you've got someone like Thomas Muller, who's just been incredible. You've got Closer, who who's been one of the most consistent players, who always does it at World Cups, um, does it domestically too. So, do, do you think that there's just that kind of reputational thing about England, whereas maybe in a Germany, a bit of a and obviously to any German German listeners or whatever, this isn't being offensive but I think German people are quite pragmatic you know if you're not playing well, well you just don't play 
exactly. And if realistically, you look at the German squad, it's missing Holger Batstuber, who two years ago, before he uh, tore his ACL the first time, was one of the best defenders in Europe. They're missing Marco Royce, who would be the best player in more or less every team, bar two or three, at that World Cup. Like Brazil, the crying over Neymar been injured and missing a game. Well, Germany have been missing Royce for the entire tournament. He's a better player than Neymar, and they haven't whinged and cried at all. Do you know, let's like look. Just look. All you need to do is look at the England squad, and it's proof that it, it's in no way like Joe Hart was dropped during the season. Fair enough, he came back and played pretty well. Glenn Johnson had one of the worst seasons you'll ever see from a professional footballer. Leighton Baines, fair enough, decent season. Gerrard had a really good second half of the season. Cahill and Jaggy Elke both played really well. Jack Wiltshire can't get in the, in the Arsenal team. Frank Lampard has been finished for a couple of years. He shouldn't be an international player. Sturridge, fine. Rooney, what's, what's he doing there? Like... Chris Smalling, sub. Oxlade-Chamberlain injured most of the year. Jones can't get in the United team. Milner can't get in the City team. Ricky Lambert, I mean, fair enough, he probably deserves to be there. But if Ricky Lambert is a player you bring into the World Cup, your squad's not in a very good position. There's a bunch of players there. But the highlight of the England squad is, of course, the great Danny Welbeck. Danny Welbeck, a dominant striker, has scored, like less than 40 goals in his entire club career that's been going on since 2008-2009. The great Danny Welbeck, you know, England regular, doesn't matter how he's playing or if he's playing for United, he's in there because Hodgson is afraid to drop these players. And that's it, pure and simple. They will not drop these players. It doesn't matter if it's the reputation of the individual by like Rooney or the reputation of the club like United. United are going to have a quota of players in the England squad and we've seen it this year. There's not a single United player that should have been in that squad. Smalling, Jones and Welbeck don't even get in the club team. Rooney's been absolutely horrific. Not just for club, but like his record for England over the last few years, especially in competitive games, in competition, is just disgraceful. For a so-called top player to have that kind of record across World Cups and European Championships is embarrassing. And until that mentality changes... David Kahn sent out a couple of tweets yesterday. He was comparing English football to German football. I saw one idiot try and counter it by saying that England had produced these modern footballers. And he was able to name, I think, six or seven players. The oldest was Lalana, who's 26. The youngest, I think, was Luke Shaw, who's, what, 18, 19. So you're looking at six or seven players across a seven or eight-year swing. Like, you can go and look at any age bracket for Germany and you can name six or seven unbelievable talents who are going to be absolute superstars, like Max Meyer, Timo Warner, Julian Brand, Jonathan Talley. There's four who are just 18 years of age, starting regularly for Bundesliga clubs. Like It's just not happening in England. But Dave, Dave you, you reap what you sow, though, don't you? I mean, if you're going to put uh, a no-mark like Hodgson in charge of, of your team, oh, well, you know, it. you are going to get that sort of level of complete ineptitude. That's what happens. It's not a exactly. surprise. And, and it's, for it's, England it's, fans, like, you get these England fans who are saying, oh, well, Hodgson will do the job, and then, like, oh, maybe Martinez will take it, or Rogers. Le- be under no illusion. Gareth Southgate is the next England manager. He has been groomed for the job. 
he's one of the reasons Pierce was originally binned was because they don't get on. Pierce was originally going to be part of Hodgson's team. Southgate and him don't get on. So Pierce is out. Southgate is in. Gareth Southgate is going to be the next thing the manager. If you don't believe me, go and read the absolute dribble that Henry Winter has been spewing about Gareth Southgate for the last six months. Henry Winter's a fool, but he's well, well connected with the FA. There's actually nobody better connected with the FA than Henry Winter because he doesn't rock the boat and he just tells everybody that everything's golden. If Henry Winter is big enough, Gareth Southgate, for a reason. Gareth Southgate's the next thing, the manager. He's not going to help things. He did a very poor job up at Middlesbrough. He's not qualified for the job. England... You, just to interrupt a second, Dave, I mean, do you think that... See, we, we talk about Hodgson and we talk about the FA, but, but, but what about English culture in general? Now, it's easy me saying this as a Scotsman living in Wales, surprisingly enough, but... You know, I, I lived in England for for a, a long, long time, and I'll, I'll never forget. I was only young at the time, but when when Gaza refused to take a penalty because he was too upset that he would be suspended for the next game in a World Cup, he was welcomed back as a hero. He was welcomed back to this country, and everybody's oh, Gaza, I don't want to. You know, we understand why you never took a penalty. Do you remember a couple of years back? And I think it was when Didi Haman was playing um, in Germany when it, when in a semi final. And was it Balak, I think, who got suspended for the yeah, final? Yeah, in 2002. Absolutely. And Balak... Carried them. He carried on. He, he went on and fucking won Germany at the game. That you, got even, the you even go back a couple of years before that, and the year United won the treble. United go to Turin to play Juventus behind on, on away goals. Roy King gets booked early on, knows he's out of the final, and gives one of the all-time great performances... If an English player had did that, we would never, ever hear the end of it. But it's just a different mentality. As you mentioned, Gaza refused to take that penalty. He came home as a hero. Oh, isn't it very sad that he cried. 1998, Paul Ince refused to take a penalty originally, took one and missed. Nobody mentioned the fact that he missed or Batty missed. But David Beckham got absolutely slaughtered because Beckham was this southern pretty boy and this, you know, multi like you know, new cultured kind of worldly type player who had a life that was bigger than what he could see in front of him. And the two, you know, work, the two lads that work hard and blah, 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 they just got led away with it. And England has become a multicultural society stuck in like the 1950s in their mentality because they just don't want to embrace the new teachings, the new styles. If you look at the coaching, like the numbers of coaches can, between England compared to Spain and Germany, it's a small fraction. And one of the reasons is if you look at the cost of doing your, your licenses with the FA as opposed to in Spain or in Germany, you're looking at three or four times the amount. And a lot of people just don't have that kind of money and the clubs, the clubs aren't willing to pay for them. There's no money being put back in for grassroots football. And that's where the problem starts. You're not putting money into the bottom of the game. You're just creaming it all off the top. Like football, the money in football should be a circle. As it comes off the top, like a lot of it should be filtered back down to the bottom to continue the growth of the game. And then that circle gets bigger and bigger. So you can skim your money off the top, but it doesn't happen in England. And it, it, if, if, if it doesn't happen in the next five years, it may never happen because England are getting left behind. And it's not just uh, Germany and Spain. There's a rebuild happening in Italy at the minute, so England are just going to get left behind by them and France as well. 
John, just uh, if I can just take it back to a bit more of a general theme as opposed to England and Eng- what England did at the World Cup, right? I think one of the key things for me in terms of w- when we were trying to put that best 11, Premiership 11 out, is the complete absence of midfielders. And when I started thinking about it, it's like y- you look at the teams who have gotten to, say, the quarterfinals and the semifinals, and you say to yourself, right, where did those midfielders play? And if you go back to, say, 08, Euro, uh, 08 and you go back to 10, the best midfielders in the world were playing in the Premiership at that stage and it was the dominant league in Europe at that stage and now you look at it and you know we've either got young up and coming midfielders the likes of Joe Allen even the likes of Emery Chan who we've just signed who's possibly a future German international or, or international captain and you look at it now and you say right when you go to try pick a team out, you, were, you had to go back to the England team to find a midfielder that was playing, or Fellaini, as we were saying, at Belgium. And it's questionable as to whether he's a midfielder or not, right? <laughs> you know, I, I think when, when, when football boils down to it, midfield is the engine room. And if you don't yeah. have the quality of midfield players in your league, your league is going to struggle in real, in, in, in real quality sense because it's great to get the ball up the end of the pitch and score goals and there's mayhem at the other end of the pitch. But unless you've got that quality and control in the modern game, in the champ- be it the Champions League or be it the international football as we've seen in, the, in these tournament type things, your the league itself is going to sh- be showing up for a, for lacking in quality. But the worrying thing for me, Phil, is that if you go back even a bit further than the years you're talking, go back to the early 2000s, like the late 90s, early 2000s, mm. you had Roy Keane, Patrick Vieira, Didi Haman, uh, Paul Scholes, these were world-class midfielders. Then you had the likes of Makaleli came along, Alonso came along, Mascherano, and our own Steven Gerrard, obviously. Where are the next generation of these players? The only midfielder in England, English midfielder, that I would look at, even non-English midfielders coming through, that I would look at and say, this is a great player, is Ross Barkley. But he's not the all-rounder that those guys were. Mm-mm. Like... When you, you look at a young Roy Keane, you could play him anywhere in midfield. A young Steven Gerrard, you could play him anywhere in midfield. Patrick Vieira could go and sit at centre-back and just smoke a cigar and wear his slippers because they were just rounded players. Ross Barkley, as talented as he is, his talent is focused in an area. He hasn't been given that overall exposure. Like, say, for example, a, a Julian Draxler is the German equivalent. He can play five or six different positions. Yeah. Yeah. Barkley can only play one or two. And even at that, you're stretching because you're asking him to do defensive things that he's not comfortable with because he hasn't been, he hasn't been coached. The education has not been there from yeah. when he was 13, 14. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think there are some major challenges. But I think to the elephant in the room, we've not really talked about it, um, Luis Suarez, but I think before we go into kind of Suarez and him going and all this type of stuff and what it means for us going forward, uh, Trev, I just wanted to ask you what you thought your all-time sort of favourite memory is of uh, Luis Suarez whilst he's at Liverpool. Well, yeah, I, I suppose John, I'm I'm kind of in a minority here with this whole Suarez thing since it, since it broke and. In that I haven't been as morose uh, as an awful lot of humans have been, and I haven't been as down on the guy as an awful lot of people have been. There's something sadly inevitable about it. If Barca or Real come in for you, you know, we talked earlier on about Liverpool's place in the pecking order, uh, and Dave was was chatting about that, and it's it's just a, it's just a fact of life at the moment. And 
there was always the reality that that was likely to happen. If you think about what that kid has done for us in the time that he's been with us, the good is so, so, so far outweighing the bad. We've had an awful lot of um, rationalising to do with some of the actions of his and you do that as a supporter and whether you're comfortable with it or not is up to you but most of us have managed to get over ourselves remarkably well and uh, scream and shout for this guy on a regular basis considering this time last year he was he was taking us around as well this season is the season that you gather all your happiest memories from because this season was the season in which he was ultimately focused 100% on the club and getting the club as far and as high up the league uh, as, as, as as he could. It was it was his one and only um, focus and you could see it on the pitch. It was the delight to watch. It was uh, the exact same focus that we could see in, in, in the game that he played, the first game of the World Cup where he was basically playing on one leg and he still managed to look like the most committed player out there and score two goals. Um, so... For me, it's going to come down to this season. And I don't know, I mean, take your pick. For me, it's probably something um, that's even not one of the goals. Although the header, uh, that long-range header that he scored, really does stand out because I saw it live uh, against West Brom. I I did enjoy that. Um, For me, it's probably just an overall picture that I have of his attitude and the fact that, that, that he was so enjoyable to watch and the fact that I'd done such an about face from this time last summer to say March, April time where the lad was walking on water, he could do no wrong and I firmly believed as I was writing most days that we were watching the best for the foreign player in the world um, so it's it's more of an overall impression I got and it will be this season and what he did this season, I, I can't separate any, out any one thing, it was more an attitudinal thing, uh, for me um, it, it's an overall picture John and Phil, coming to you, mate, your overall best memory of Luis Suarez. Ah, there's so many. The wonderful Luis Suarez. <laughs> like, I, 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 I have no anger in terms of what's gone on and the whole lot, you know. Uh, to be honest with you, some of the, the mad stuff really stands out as, as brilliant memories. Like, <laughs> the bite of Ivanovic is just one of the most ridiculous things you'll ever see in a football pitch. <laughs> he grabs his arm and bites it. It's just, like, it's imprinted. And, you know, I, I can't separate the brilliance from the madness because it's all it's the one parcel and you can bet your bottom dollar he'll do something fucking loony when he's over in Barcelona as well it's only a matter of time it's just it's it's in his nature you can't take it away from him and it may all the good stuff that you see the, the harrying the chasing the, the brilliance that goes on it's all wrapped up in this bundle of energy that, that is, is prepared to go off at any time um, as, from a goal point of view like you could take your pick, but I remember the. I think it was his first full season. Sunderland away, he ghosts by about two of them on the boy line, and he takes the most irrationally insane shot straight at the near post. Mignolet was in goal, and he managed to squeeze it between mm-hmm. Mignolet and across to the far side net, and it was just outrageous. It was an outrageous piece of skill. Um, that that stands out. The, the pulling Raphael's hair in the forced United game in Anfield <laughs> that he was there that was brilliant as well because he set him off for a fucking thing. And then when he just destroyed the United defence on the boy line as well. Actually, an awful lot of Suarez's great memories for me. I always start with him attacking the boy line at about four hundred miles an hour, and then doing something absolutely outrageous. And next minute he's just in front of the goal and he's putting the ball away. And like every time he did it, it was just like don't know how you did that. Just don't know how you did it. And I've noticed Sterling over the course of the last season had started. Mimicking that in a way, and he attacks it with real pace. Mm. And defenders don't know what to, defenders literally don't know what to do when a fellow looks like he's just going to run out of play, because they don't know whether to tackle him or let him go. And they knew with Suarez they couldn't let him go. Outrageous goal, probably the first one 
from the halfway line against Norwich because that was like he, he, the abuse he got that day from fucking Norwich fans of all people. Mm. Like, <laughs> imagine like yeah. imagine being abused by Norwich fans. Cheeky right? bastards. Yeah. And then uh, just the, the the halfway goal just summed everything up because he'd already tried it and then he then it came off the second time so he was looking for it and then all the hat tricks against Norwich and oh god it's just going to be so devastating when he goes isn't it like <laughs> looking at one of the greatest players of the last 20 years like oh John quick move it on it's getting, it's getting grim <laughs> I'm off I'm there are tears here mate quick <laughs> uh, uh, before we go to Dave I'm going to neb in as well because you mentioned Norwich I think see Trev like you I'm, I'm quite at peace with him going um, as soon as he bit uh, Chiellini I, I remember watching it and I, I was just thinking that's a mad sentence isn't it <laughs> like, like, like fuck he, he's not just done that is he uh, and my wife was my wife who, who is a Norwich fan she she was just sitting there going he's bit him and I was like oh fuck and then I just started to laugh and laugh and laugh and think the mad bastard he's done it again and then it all started to sink in and all the emotions started to happen and I thought what the fuck have you done and but as soon as that happened, I think if that hadn't happened, I, I would have had a really, really, really hard time with us selling him. And depending upon who you believe and who you read, you know, it, it does look like we've had him on the market for a little while. I mean, one of the things I was speaking to someone, I've, I've been doing a whole load of research into football just for a kind of book I'm writing, no plug intended. But one of the, <laughs> one of the things is um, that keeps coming out is when, when big players go, clubs prepare for this meticulously. Um, the, the, you know the, the, the sheer speed of things that how things have progressed with Barcelona does kind of make me suggest that that potentially he has been going for some time, and I think I would have found it harder had he not bit Chiellini just to accept it. But since he bit him, I just think to myself, do you know what? You're giving your all, mate. On you go. But my favourite ever memory. Um, I don't know if anybody can relate to it, but my wife was really, really ill last se- um, last season, and uh, it was about. What was it? Uh, maybe December time, November, December time, and we played Norwich at Anfield, and um, I couldn't watch the game because I was up, up, up at the hospital visiting my wife, and she was kind of quite out of it. I, I was feeling quite down, you know. I was here by myself, and a little girl to fend for, and I didn't really know what to do. And all of a sudden, the goal flashes start to come up on on the screen, and it's Suarez one against Norwich, Suarez two against Norwich, Suarez three. Suarez four, and and I just it, 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 he reminded me of of why I started to watch football is because it made me happy, you know. He he watching him was just that that thing that you rarely see sometimes in modern day football. We, I think we take it far too seriously sometimes because Luis Suarez he made people happy, and um, I I remember just saying to my wife I, I was like sorry darling I was like but but you know Suarez is just. Um, Suarez has just, you know, destroyed your team. And, and she just laughed and she went, well, that's just what Luis Suarez do, uh, does. So from my point of view, I just think it's definitely that moment against Norwich. Uh, Dave, your favourite ever Luis Suarez moment? Um, my favourite moment from a comedy point of view is when he dived in front of Moyes. Mm. Um, for me, that was just hilarious, like... Uh, in the pressure of a derby to even think like, oh God, I'll go and annoy this fella. Um, and like to, to run 50 yards to do it as well. Um, do you know, I'm, I'm with um, 
with John and Trev on this. I'm 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 at peace with him going. Obviously, look, we're going to miss him. He, he's he's the third best player in the world. Obviously, you're going to miss him, um, and we're not going to be able to replace him with any one player. You know, but we could replace him perhaps with two or three, or we could replace him in a different way by taking the money from Barca and going and buying like a world class centre back and a world class holding midfielder. You know, say Benetia or Hummels and Martinez or Witzel. You know, you you could replace them that way. You, you could improve the team that way. Um, I think one of the biggest things we'll miss about Suarez, though, is the impact that he has had on Raheem Sterling. Because he, it's very clear that he took Sterling under his wing. And, you know, Sterling has learned a lot from him. Sterling's work rate, his tenacity the way he used his arse to knock players out of the way. Like, he's learned all that from, from Luis Suarez. Um, like, as, as you have said, Suarez made football fun because he just plays with that incredible determination. He's willing to die to, to win a corner. Like, you know, he's just, he is mental. Um, runs, like, there's a, there's a picture of him, that game, no, not that game, the, the game against Norwich at Anfield, the year before when he scored four. So the year before when uh, he scored one with the Sturridge dummy, there's a picture of him from the 94th minute chasing full speed ahead across the pitch to close down a defender when we're 5-0 up at home to fucking Norwich. like, And that sort defines him for me, like the incredible effort that he put in. In terms of the bites, they're just they're mental. I actually don't think he'll do it again. And the reason I don't think he'll do it again is because if you look at when he's bitten the three players, Ivanovic, Cialini, and whoever the chap was that he bit in Holland, they were all in big matches where things weren't going the way of his team. And he clearly has... He, he takes all the pressure of his team onto himself. And he decides, well, I'm going to win this game because I'm the best player and all the others need me to do it. So just give me the ball and everybody else get out of the way. I'll, I'll I'll do this all by myself, and he takes it all on himself. And I think he just lets that pressure get too much from, and eventually it just explodes. And it ex- it it explodes in such a strange way. Like biting somebody in the way he bit Ivanovic is something a child does to like grab an arm and bite. That's something a little kid does. It's not something a grown man should be doing. But at at, at Barca, like he's going to have Messi. Neymar, Iniesta, Busquets, he's going to have all these world-class, incredible players who can take the pressure off him and he can just be another player. Um, but yeah, like one of the, the, I think the thing I'll miss most from watching him is what Phil mentioned, and I think Trev mentioned it as well, is like him running down in the channel, full speed ahead, with no intention other to, than to get to the end line and then start to do something mental. Because as a defender, you're taught as a kid, if, if a striker runs at you, get him to the end line, push him that way. Don't let him turn infield in towards the box. Push him to the end line. So every defender goes up to Suarez and thinks, yeah, I'm doing the right thing. I'm leading them to the end line. And then he doesn't like nutmegs them or you know, makes, makes them look ridiculous. Like. And there's just no way to... to account for that like that's just the mentalness of Luis Suarez and like we'll all miss him because he has been he's been incredible 
Do you know what, Dave? I'm going to remind you of your theory there that you've just posited uh, when he has started snacking on, on Pedro's arm or something like that. Uh, no, no. Well, no, if he bites one of his own players, it doesn't count. If he bites one of his own players, it doesn't count. You know, I've you, actually got a theory, though. Pepe. You know, you, Pepe, now he deserves a bite. Pepe's going to get nibbled. If Suarez <laughs> bites him, though, he should get a pay rise. There should be no ban. Yeah, should we get a pay rise, and there should be a day named after him, President Pepe. Pepe. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Pepe is going to bite. I, I just really want him to bite Gareth Bale. Oh, oh yeah, that yeah. would be. Can you imagine? <laughs> be hilarious. The, the uproar there'd be in England. <laughs> well, here's the thing: like Barca are due to unveil him, what next week or whatever mm. in the bas- um, in the basketball court. Yeah, can't be in the stadium. There, I don't think it's happening. I think I said on Twitter earlier on. I think this is happening in a McDonald's. The marketing writes itself. If Suarez eating a Big Mac, this is the only bite he'll have this year. More than a burger. It sells itself. So, McDonald's, if you want to get on to me, I can set it up. It's no problem. I'll only charge you a small fee. Uh, John Ritchie's my agent. Um, <laughs> and, my advi- and my advisor on all things marketing, because that's what he does. Yeah, and, and, but, uh, and, and for any potential job people like that, there, there is no, there's no chance of, of recommending this. <laughs> just, just before any recruiter looking at me thinks, fuck this guy. I have, I, I have text messages to prove it. No. <laughs> oh. um, well, where are they going to unveil him? He's not allowed in a stadium. He's mm. going to unveil him in that sports shop that was selling jerseys with his name on the back of it. <laughs> that's right, isn't it? Do, do you know the like most, they've done he's not allowed there he's, he's not no, they, that's it they can't do it there either and, and and the funny thing is FIFA have today right come out and confirmed he is allowed to watch TV at home oh that's sound <laughs> that's he, really he's, sound so, so he's allowed to watch TV like football games you know, the lucky bastard that he is. It'd be, it'd be great. TV on. It'd be great if someone's if, going to fucking monitor that. John, it'd be great if you logged into like FIFA on the PlayStation or something and said, no, banned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll try the Xbox now, banned. Yeah. He, he probably has one thing though. Like, when he, when he signs for Barca, you can be guaranteed that there's going to be more to this. They're not going to st- like pay 75, 80 million for him and be happy that he's going to sell the first two or three months. They're going to do something about it. And it, it, it will. Like they've, they've rejected the appeal from the Uruguayan FA. And obviously, now that we're selling them, we're not going to launch a lawsuit or anything. But no. I will guarantee that Barcelona will do something. Yeah, they're, they're a different kind of fish. Getting, like, he might get a longer international ban, but I, I can't see any way that the four months sticks because, it, frankly, it's a, it's a fucking joke. Um. Just moving on from Suarez, and it's really hard to because whatever happens with Suarez profoundly, sorry, profoundly affects us going forward. Because he go, I think he goes, and what do you do next? I think Marco Lopez put it really um, well on Twitter earlier. He was saying that you know, if Suarez goes, you don't try and find the new Suarez. You no. change your plan. You know, so. And I think we're maybe seeing part of this plan start to develop slightly. And we've got to remember we don't know everything and there's all sorts of rumours flying about. But Markovic, um, very young prospect. Um, Trev, what do you make of Markovic? And and, and do you think that that this is maybe Liverpool starting to get smart in the transfer market with these 
potential world stars of the future. Well, well, interestingly, John, um, today's today's article I wrote was was on this chap, and uh, I was plugging it there as I do, wrecking everyone on my timeline's head on a regular basis. And some some lady got back to me. Oh, lads, lads, hang on a sec. Yeah, lads, the, hang on. Your your end has gone shockingly bad, lads. What yeah, happened? it's like loads of interference. What's that? It's like no, it's, it's, it sounds like it sounds like a fan or something. Well, or an aeroplane taken off. It sounds like my laptop used to sound like. <laughs> that just that just kicked in. Yeah, it, it, as soon as you start started talking, it just went like that. Shit, it's still there now, lads. It? There's a bit of a hum, but that's yeah, been there. That's all right. That's not an issue. But yeah, uh, all I say is it's it's not at air end. So because we're recording at air end, we're not picking up any of the interference. Cool. Can't well, actually well, hear anything. Yeah. Well, like, John, if, I, if you put yourself on mute and I'll go on mute and we'll see if we can hear it, because I know it's not from my end. Yeah, I can still hear it. It's all right, so it's only a little one. That's, that, that, it's, that's it's, absolutely fine. Honest to God, because we, we do this in the morning, it, it's generally not at, at this end, so once we don't have it at this end, it, the the record is fine. Like, Whatever we're saying, you should be okay, hopefully, yeah. Cool. So, so Trev, we'll come back to you again, mate. Sure, go. Johnny, if you're listening, edit this. <laughs> Sorry, I've been sending notes to gags, Johnny. D- don't leave it all in. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the raw and uncut first. <laughs> <laughs> we should do an outtakes at some point. Um, oh fuck! So, 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 Trev, do you, do you think um, Liverpool signing Markovic is, is potentially Liverpool getting smart with these world players of the future, signing them maybe at the right time? Well, look, uh, it's it's hard to see it as any other than that, to be honest. I mean, the guy's uh, a highly regarded talent, um, the kind of player that, you know, we were, that lots of Liverpool fans were pissing and moaning about not being in for him, and suddenly we're in for him, and we haven't, we're not just in for him, the deal looks to be almost done. Now, that said, I wrote about him today, and the the the, uh, the imminent uh, medical where, where where Zaf gets to be creepy and 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 pose for odd looking pictures with uh, whoever the new guy is. And this evening, as I was plugging the piece, um, some 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 uh, nice lady got onto me, uh, full of doom and gloom, to say that oh, it was a false dawn because the medical had been delayed and all the rest of it. But I think it's only a technical thing. And if if Lazar, do, 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 do you know why the medical has been delayed? <laughs> apparently, why, why is that, John? <laughs> the, 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 this was a conversation between James Pierce and Jay Riley. So, oh, yeah. um, uh, basically, they got a Portuguese translator, and he doesn't speak a fucking word of Portuguese. That is fan fucking fantastic. <laughs> that is just that. That's just perfect, isn't it? So, so the, he, he, he's, he's Serbian, isn't he? The, Jesus. So, because I thought I thought like someone taking the piss, I, I really did. And then James Pierce was like, "Actually, yeah, I'll, I'll look into that." To be honest, because. It did all sound pretty strange. Do you know, John? I, I really hope that's true. That is one of the best fucking stories ever. I, I hope it's true as well. That, that's that'll be the highlight of the week. <laughs> it? That's just that is just spectacular that, levels that, of that's, shite. That's, that's up there with the Aspas negotiations last season. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> just want to say that. Yeah, I, I, I'm United, his agent. United agreeing to buy Ander Herrera last year. Yeah. from lads who didn't actually belong to Atletico Bilbao. That's oh, right wow. up there. It's good to see where you know we're learning from the big clubs and how to operate in the transfer market. <laughs> Jesus, but uh, logistical issues because because it was all a bit um, vague. Yeah, yeah, like like James Pierce was like yeah. And the way he kind of worded it, logistical issues. It was clearly <laughs> some fuck up of some other. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And then, and then there was one point on Twitter said, uh, you know, 
oh, it's all right, James. I, I, I'm actually a Serbian translator for a living, you know. I, I get me to Melbourne. I, I'll, I'll fucking do this, you know. Oh, what? <laughs> like, yeah, we'll pass on your details, mate. Do you know what I was picturing when I saw that? Do you remember the, in the, was it the IT crowd? And your woman was pretending she could. Be, she was fluent in Italian. <laughs> she had no word of Italian. Like, no, ah, you were talking about it. what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Genius. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 there, was, there was some translator fired recently. Not no in the last in the last couple of years in the Premier League. He was the translator for a manager, and he wasn't translating the questions and the, and the replies properly. <laughs> I can't think for the life of me who it was, but the the guy ended up getting it. Could have been Pochettino. I would think it was Pochettino's ride. lad. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, and he and he <laughs> he got sacked after like a month because it turned out that the stuff that he was telling Pochettino wasn't what they were asking and what Pochettino was saying wasn't what he was giving in response like we should get that He's... South African lad remember the fellow who does the sign language at all the big events oh yeah <laughs> <Remember him? laughs> he's in like two massive events or whatever it was and he can't sign at all he was just making it all up he's just having it. the crack <laughs> sorry, sorry Trevor all, all puns aside mate I mean um, you, you know it is a good signing, isn't it? I mean, I look, mean, yeah, yeah, no, John, it is. It, like, and like I was, like I was saying initially, it, 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 he's the kind of guy that we, a club like ourselves, should be in for. He's the kind of guy that a club like ourselves should be getting locked down. And when you combine his signing with the likes of Origi, uh, you know, these young, talented up and comers. You know, it, it, that's a positive sign. And even the fact that we're doing this thing, which I, I'm uneasy with this idea of the of the loaning back out and all that because of, of our uh, lack of money in comparison to the clubs that are doing it. But overall, it's a positive thing. And there's just too much whining going on. You know, if this guy's in the bag, uh, if Origi's in the bag, you know, fucking smile a bit, lads. You know, these are good potentially excellent footballers and if it takes a little bit of time I don't know there was a total um, it was a fallacy to think that you were going to get this thing of a player of similar stature that phrase was being thrown out there's nobody of similar stature Suarez it's going to be multiples it's going to be combinations and if one or two of these guys come in and he's excellent that's wonderful for me and I'm, I'm delighted he's on his way I suppose one of the things that stands out for me is if you look back at over the history of the Premier League and then you start looking at the teams that have done well, the, the, the sort of Manchester United, when they signed Ronaldo, do you remember how slated they were in Ronaldo's first season? Yeah. Mm. yeah. You know, and, and you remember they were saying, oh, this kid's so raw, I don't know if he'll make it, oh dear, what's he doing, really poor decision-making. And sometimes to get that, that sort of level of player, because you know, according to a number of people who I know who watch Benfica regularly, uh, Marco being one, but also some of the kind of top pundits out there. I think um, there's that former Monaco uh, director of football at Monaco, um, who, who's absolutely you know going fucking hell. This is a great signing for Liverpool. You, you have to you have to pay the money for these top prospects, and and fair enough, they might not work out. But at least actually now we are starting to say, do you know what? They are a top prospect. We, we'll go and invest in these kids, and hopefully it pays off because otherwise these stars never come. Yeah. Well, we started this process last year of buying future stars. We bought Thiago Alari. I think he has potential to be a top-class centre-back. We bought Luis Alberto. I know it didn't really work out, but neither of them were bought for last season. They were bought for the future. Alberto obviously had the issues where he was caught on the booze and then he was driving and whatever. And he may not work out because he lacks pace. He may just not be suited to English football at all. We'll have to wait and see. 
this this is what Hunter and Fallows were brought in to do. This is what they tried to do at City was buy these incredible young players so that they could go and buy the big names like the Ayatures, the Silvas, the Agueros, and they could get the prime years out of them and then sell them. And they would already have these younger players coming through behind them who had established themselves at the club, settled in, and et cetera, et cetera. Now, Markovic, for me, is an incredibly good signing. Um, him, and, him and Emery Chan, for me, the two signings of the summer that we've made, two of the best signings we've made in a long time, um, these are lads we're going to be able to build around for a long, long time. The two of them, Sterling and Coutinho, we're going to be able to build around them for a long, long time. The issue I have is that it doesn't help us now. Like, we can't rely on Lazar Markovic to come across and replace what we're losing in Luis Suarez. The, the signings we've made to this point all make sense if Suarez stays. For me, not one of them bar Chan makes sense with Suarez going. Now, I can see the logic in Markovic because apparently we were looking to get Markovic and Sanchez. So that's fine. But Lalana doesn't make sense to me now with Suarez going. And Lambert really doesn't make sense because we're going to have to go and buy another striker. Now, whether that's like a starting quality striker, like we've been linked with Boney today, we've been linked with Higuain in the last couple of days, or whether it's someone who comes in and plays off the bench. And if it's someone who comes in and plays off the bench, well, then what's the point of Ricky Lambert other than the fact that it's a great story? Now, I know he only costs four million, so it's not a big issue, but I, I personally don't think we've been planning to sell Suarez um, and I think our, our business reflects that. Um, but Markovic, yeah, I'm delighted with Markovic. I'm delighted with Chan. Um, Origi's a, it's a good signing. It may prove to be a very good signing down the line. Um, he's obviously, like if Lambert is second or third choice now, Origi will go away for a year, maybe two, and then come back. Lambert will retire or whatever, and Origi will take his role in the squad. Um, but, I mean, the names we've been linked with after Markovic just do absolutely nothing for me. De- Dejan Lovren, mediocre. Ryan Bertrand is garbage. I'm not a big fan of Davies from Swansea. I, I don't see that we're making a push to replace Suarez. John, you mentioned Ronaldo. United were the best team in the country or one of the top two when he signed. We're, we're, we should be top two, but we're, we're losing our best player and we're dropping off and then signing this youngster with no real clear plan of how we're going to replace Suarez. Like I said, I'd rather I'd rather us get Markovic in, get Origi in, and then forget about buying attackers. Just go and buy a top-end left-back, a top centre-back, and a top midfielder, and we'll just make do what we have in attack. You know, we don't need to score 100 goals if we don't... Like, if we concede 30. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We need it to... We needed to score 100 because we conceded 50 because our defence was so poor. We needed the attack. If we can have a good defence, I don't think our attack needs to be as good as it was last year. John, can I just jump in? Because yeah, sure. my take is slightly different. Like I, I, I have negative feelings about some of the names that are being mentioned. But you know, at, at a certain point, I suppose, by finishing second last year, whether we agree with it or whether we don't agree with it, like Rogers has probably earned his um, veto over who comes in and his forced choices. Now, 
he's going to live and die by whatever players he signs because if we have a particularly poor season next season, you know, he will be under pressure again. Getting finishing top two this year puts immense pressure on him to either replicate it or go that one step better, or at least finish in the top three while it's doing well in the Champions League as well. So they're, they're, they're very high benchmarks that he has to hit, right? And he must be bloody well confident in the players that he signs. Now, whether we agree with them or not, he must be very confident in, in the players that he's signing at the moment and the likes of Lalana, etc. Um, to, to go out and, and you know obviously push to have the money spent on them the way it is I, personally I, I actually like Lovren I, I think you know I, I suppose we are going to talk are these names any better than what we have the way I look at Lovren you're getting a similar level defender to Agar at this moment in time but he's 24 and he potentially could get better Um Bertrand I'm with Dave and Bertrand I'm not a Bertrand fan at all and I, I, you know if, if he's signing I can only think that he's been signed as backup as opposed to first choice and I, I genuinely well, yeah well, just on the Bertrand thing mate yeah and this probably links back to what Dave said and, and Trev I don't know what you think about this but everything that's coming out of the minute James Pearson the Echo today on his web chat um, a lot of the kind of guys who who are very reliable your Graham Kelly's your Jay Riley's these type of guys they're still talking about Moreno, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of talk about still being in for Moreno. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm getting the sense that, that I think the Davies link is just bullshit, to be honest. I, I, I don't know where that's come from, but the, the Bertrand I, I one, think it's it a, does it, seem like the club is putting information out there that isn't necessarily right. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at the, the, the people that we and it, obviously ignore the the, the Lovren thing at the minute, that, that we clearly we clearly are after him. But there's a lot of signings who Markovic came out of nowhere. Origi, other than obviously some Belgian scout telling a a good journalist that that Liverpool had looked at them, nobody really knew about that one. I'm still thinking that actually maybe there has been some slight improvement in in the way in which we're doing our business. Not a great improvement because, again, some of the targets... You know, some of the targets last season were better than this season. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I have a theory on it, and we, we talked about it as well when we were talking in the pod. Like, if most of the reliable leaks that have come out this year have not come from the Liverpool end, they've come from, come from the foreign press end. Like the Chan deal, the actual details of the Chan deal was was in um, the German papers two weeks before it was happening, and the actual updates in terms of what was going to happen next. Chan was away on holidays; he wasn't going to sign anything till he got back, and then it went quiet for a week, and then he was coming back off holidays, and it seemed like the deal had been agreed at that point, and that was that was their updates. Do you know what I mean? There wasn't a, a continuous odd. Oh, you can't agree wages. They're bar, you know they're barter around fee, etc., etc., etc. The Markovic thing. There was a link to him a week after the season ended in the Portuguese newspapers and then it went quiet and then it all came back alive again that's true Obolo yeah. or Obola or whoever they were. but the thing you have to remember is that the majority of the journalists in England they, they, that cover Liverpool they're puppets of the club they report what they're told to report or they will not get anything to report in future that's just how it works so if if James Pearce doesn't have information on such and such it's because the club haven't given them the information or they have and they've told them, say nothing because we don't want this news getting out. He may have known about Markovic and Chan weeks, weeks and weeks ago and been told by the club, look, we need, we need you to keep this on the quiet and if you do that for us, we'll do X for you. You'll get the first interview to the press or whatever. Um, you know, the, the one thing for me though is in terms of the two guys that we're bringing in from Southampton, Lalana and Lovren. We're overpaying for them. They're Lalana's a twelve to fifteen million player that we're paying twenty three rising to twenty five for. Lovren at best a ten million pound centre back. I don't think he is as good as Agar, but regardless, he you 
you're paying 20 million for him. You could go and get a centre back as good as Agger and Hinteregger from Salzburg for about 7 million and sell Agger for 10. Instead, we're selling Agger for 10 to buy a guy who's, for me, slightly below him, has had one good season in a decent league. And even then, he had a big drop off in mid season. And let's be honest, he was playing with two far better fullbacks than we have. And he had two defensive midfielders sat in front of him. So he's coming to a weaker system and he plays where our best centre back, Mamadou Sako, plays. So, like, we're not paying, I can't imagine we're paying 20 to 25 million for a backup centre back. Dave, he Dave, uh, on that, mate, we, we, we were talking about this recently and it's, it's just, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say. I think I heard you mention the likes of Shara before, but, it, like, I mean, centre-halves-wise, there, there's a little bit of a dart of talent out there, isn't there, in, in terms of, of, of people that you could just put the crosshairs on and go, right, let's have him, you know? Well, realistically, you could look at someone like Huidas from Schalke, who's playing left-back for Germany at the minute in the World Cup. He's a brilliant centre-back. You get him for less than twenty million. Mm. Uh, Fabian Schar, Phil mentioned earlier. You just mentioned there. You'd probably get him for about ten million. You get Semi Kea from Galatasaray for probably twelve to fifteen. Nicholas Ancolo, the Cameroon captain, is looking to leave Marseille. He's available. Um, Jonathan Tarr from Hamburg, young guy, but absolutely incredible talent. If you wanted to go big, Mede Benacia wants to leave Roma. He's made it clear. And it doesn't look like Barcelona have any money left now that they're going to sign Suarez. He wants out. Like, there's a chance to go and get him there. Mm. Do you know, like, there are centre-backs. There are plenty of good centre-backs around Europe. Like, um, Virgil van Dijk up at Celtic is a f- fantastic centre-back. You probably get, like, he's the one. I guarantee you, when Southampton sell him, sell Lovren to us for £25 million, once they finish laughing at what we've done, they will probably go and bid for Virgil van Dijk from Celtic because he's brilliant. You've got the fridge, the the, the Dutch centre-back who's been really good in the World Cup. You get him for about £10 million. There are centre-backs out there. This Lovren thing is just lazy for me. He's had one decent season in the Premier League. Before that, he was a laughing stock in France. Like He was voted in the worst team of the week countless times. Um, and realistically, like, the... Leon fans were delighted. Like they were as happy when he left as we will all be when Glenn Johnson leaves. That's how poor he was at Leon. There's myths about him that he's comfortable on the ball and this and that. He loses the ball an awful lot for someone who's comfortable on the ball. Um, I don't know where the idea he's a leader comes from. I, I just don't see it with him. Um, and the other thing with him as well, like people say, oh, he can play both sides, but he can't. Like he plays left side nearly all the time. He played right side a little bit for Leon, and it was a disaster. Um, personally, I think he's the, the worst centre-back I've seen at the World Cup. Literally the worst. There's one goal Croatia conceded that he had no fault in. All the rest, he had something to do with that goal going in. Do you know, I, I just think he's very poor. I think it's very lazy scouting. And Phil, you mentioned earlier, I, th- I, I do sort of agree, Like Rodgers has earned the right to have a little bit more say for me. But I don't think he, he has the right to veto Pep Guardiola has won everything there is to win, and he has no say at Barcelona, like none. He or at Bayern rather. He had one season at Barca where he was in charge of transfers, and he bought Zlatan and Harrison and one other guy, um, uh, the big centre back from Shakhtar, uh, Shakhtar Donetsk, and it was taken off him because it was such a disaster. And now he's gone to Bayern, where Zamor and 
the board run transfers no, and Pep I, just takes what he gets. Like I, I, so I, I, I accept that, Dave. And like, do you know what I mean? We all like, and we're here to, to share our opinions in terms of of what we see in our own view. You know, in terms of the players that we see and, and share our opinions on the actual players. But let's be real about it. Like, you know, he, you know, what he managed to achieve last season was was above and beyond everything else. Like, I remember the debates that were going on around Christmas that most of us and, and the majority of the fan base felt that if we didn't sign a, a DM in um, January that, that Rogers could be looking at his job come the end of the season but you know he didn't yet we finished second and, and, and let's be honest about it we probably should have won the league had, had um, Moses, oh, yeah. Moses not given that ball away and uh, Henderson got sent off because I'm, I'm, I, when I think back to moments you know that the season's torn on we beat Manchester City that day but we lost the engine in, in our team and we had to replace him with Lucas now the, 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 you know, I'm holding out hope here, and I will until the transfer window slams shut. Because we're only seeing probably the first phase of transfers if we're getting such money for Suarez in the actual door. And you know, encouraging links like the RIA link today, the the rifle, the, the, the French rifle that you know um, Arsenal were looking at, but have moved on to the Bushy now. And there's talk that the, the the agent is in Liverpool discussing terms at the moment with us, right? Like something like that will out, yeah. again. We're going back to being out of the blue. You know, all of a sudden we make a signing like that, and you know. All, all the criticisms that may be levelled at us overpaying for Lalana, we pick him up for six million, and you're looking at a combined fee of thirty million. You're possibly thinking to yourself, "Well, do you know what? There's two fifty million pound players instead of one twenty five and one six million pound player when it comes down to what we spend." So, I'm prepared to, to suspend sort of criticism until we actually see what 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 our full business is done at the end of the season. But look, if if we sign Bertrand, I'll, I'll probably go on a rampage as well because you know, yeah, the, if if we if we sign Bertrand, I think we we may all invest in shares and a company that. <laughs> Makes ropes or something because people, <laughs> people be hanging themselves watching him. Mm. No, like I do agree. You feel like Rogers worked a miracle last season, but he worked a miracle working with the committee having more or less final say. Like they pushed Sacco on him. He didn't want Sacco. He wanted Ashley Williams, mm. and like he did. He and he he did masterful things. Like we all said, he he needs to sort a DM out, and he did. He took Jordan Henderson and he said, right, this is your role from now on. You're going to play ahead of Stevie, but you're going to be my destroyer. You're going to protect Stevie. You're going to do all our running. And that's the change he made. He took Lucas. He told him to go away. Um, now Emery Khan has come in and told him to go away further, and he's running off. But Jordan Henderson was what made the, was the change Rodgers made. He changed the midfield. He did make the change. We were all calling for him to make a change, and he did. He brought. He got rid of Lucas, and he made Henderson his defensive midfielder. And in a Vidal, Kadira, Javi Martinez type of role in front of the playmaker. Yeah. And he made Gerard the playmaker a la Pirlo, Schweinsteiger, Alonso, etc. So he changed the midfield. He made the change, but it was a reactionary change. The thing is, in the transfer market, you can't really react as much. It's more about how you plan. And we just don't seem to have planned all that well. That's the issue for me. Like, we all know, well, we don't all know. I would, I would say Mamadou Sacco is clearly the best centre-back at Liverpool. And if we're buying a centre-back for £20 million plus, it should be someone to partner him, not someone who is either going to replace him or is going to be his backup, which is what would be the case with Lovren. Like, if he's coming to replace Agar, he's either starting ahead of Sacco or, starting, or his backup, and Skirtle is still in the team. And he's, we're all again stuck watching him next year, trying to wrestle people's jerseys off them. 
Dave, uh, devil's advocate here, just uh, on, on something, you, the, the lazy shout that you put in there if, uh, on Lovren, <coughs> in terms of it being a lazy target, I, I'd, hap- I'd happen to agree with you, especially when you, when you put in the context of various names that you've mentioned there yourself uh, and that a lot of lads would be aware of. I'm a massive Rogers fan, but is it fair to say that, you, we, was anyone else a little bit uneasy at his low profile over the summer? Um, the fact that, you know, I'd have liked to see him out in Brazil. I'd like to have seen him run the rule over players, at least be seen to do it. I'd like to have seen him do what, what, what Arsene Wenger did and go and make contact with the likes of Alexis Sanchez and re- reach out to hand. Given the kind of precarious position Liverpool are in, where we, we we're ready to make a big step or we could tumble back a little bit. Um, is is it would, in your opinion is that a little bit of a little bit of a fair shout or is it overly harsh? Well, the the thing for me personally, as I said, I don't believe that Rogers thought Sanchez or Suarez was going to go until he bit um, Chiellini. I think he thought Suarez was going to stay. In which case, Sanchez probably wasn't going to be, you know, business that we were going to look at. So. No, like, but there's a world of players out there, Dave. You know. Oh, that, I, you know. I agree. But if you look at it, he did stay behind, and and he signed Ricky Lambert, he signed uh, Emery Chan, and he signed Adam Lallana. And if he made Lallana his number one target, now as much as I'll disagree with the fact that like he's not worth the money and blah blah blah, if Rogers decided that this is my number one target and this is who I'm going to stake twenty five or twenty three or twenty five million on, this is who I'm going to bank on to get us that next step. Then I'm fine with him staying at home and getting that deal done. Like I have, like Wenger. Yeah, we've seen him in Brazil, and there's been one or two others. Like, but I haven't seen Mourinho or even heard of Mourinho say anything, which is just mind blowing. I think someone needs to actually go and check on him because he, he may have self harmed after the end of last season. Are you okay? He, on? Seem, <laughs> he seems to have stayed home. Um, Pellegrini seems to have stayed home. Maybe, it really, Mourinho was at the World Cup, I think, mate. Was he? Oh, well, he yeah, he, he had some. Um, I don't know if it was Portuguese media or whatever, but, but or, or the US media, I think. Um, but he was definitely out there. He was doing a fair bit with other. With oh, he was sports. working, was he? Yeah, he, he was definitely one of the World Cup pundits. Well, see, that would bring me on to another point that I meant to make earlier in terms of the coverage that we've seen in this World Cup. How did nobody reach out to Brendan Rodgers and say, "Look, if you're not busy for a week, come and do three or four games with us. We'd love to hear your opinion." Like the guy speaks brilliantly about football, and he can watch any game and tactically break it down. And yet, we're being subjected to like absolute horseshit on pretty much every channel. Like I, I, Danny, Danny Mills, and Ian Wright, and Martin Keown, and Mark Lawrence, and like, give me Brendan Rodgers over any of them. And I, you know, so somebody should have reached out to him and said, "Look, do you want to do this?" Like Mourinho's doing it for if, if that's what he was doing. Like, like, just to answer Trev's question, I'm actually okay with him staying at home if he made the decision that Adam Lalana was to be the guy. I'm okay with him staying at home and whatever he had to do, whether it was convincing FSG to keep up in the bid, because I think we, we made three or four bids for him, and then having a chat with Lalana, getting everything done, getting him settled. If, if that's what he chose to do, I am okay with it. Um, but it, it would have been nice to see him in Brazil at least, you know, putting himself out there and getting to know people because like let's remember a lot of top European football players will know his name because he's Liverpool manager but won't know anything about him exactly won't know the type of man he is do you know but part, part of the question that I would have liked to see him on the beach in a, in a pair of shorts 
<laughs> showing off the new physique. I, I, I think you know, as, you know the way. As long as he's got that blonde with him, we'd all be okay. With that, <laughs> no, him, him against Wenger in a volleyball match to see who signed Sanchez now would be my would have been my idea of, of work Re- with heaven. Reclining on the sand, provocatively. <laughs> did, you see, did you see Arsene in, his, in, oh, in all his Arsenal gear out there? It wasn't, he? it wasn't even just. It wasn't like in know, in, in linen know. stuff and, and, and cool Brazilian stuff. No, no he, it was I, his free I, I, shit. He's, yeah. he's, he went Pulis. <laughs> he went Tony Pulis at that World Cup. He did. He reminded me of Adebayor at the African Nations when he was still wearing all his Arsenal training kits remember I think he'd, he'd gone on loan to City at that stage or something <laughs> I, I was tweeting John Cross at the Meta um, with that um, that's cruel thing. John that's cruel I, I, and I was, I was going you know, boom like, <laughs> you know and uh, I think I'm now officially blocked by John <laughs> by John, by John, John boom boom Cross absolutely but Part of Rogers, and and maybe this is something that we need to 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 do spend a little bit of time on is what he did last season. I think uh, Phil, Trey, what, what one of you guys mentioned it was frankly incredible. Um, it was like nothing anybody ever thought. You guys made the point earlier that um, you know what he has done this season has been incredible. Um, that second place finish, that that tactical change, learning on the job, and, and we've talked about it before, Dave. He has learnt a lot on the job and he's improved beyond I think most of us what certainly I did I, I liked Rogers. I thought he was a good manager but I never I, I wasn't entirely ever convinced about him at Liverpool um, and in his first season I got behind him I was never one of these Rogers haters but what he's done he's earned that right now to, to, to go out and put his kind of stake in that in, in that side and as much as we, we, we might not like the idea or, or I think a lot of kind of British clubs don't like the idea is that that idea of a director of football. And whilst he has that power, whilst he has the power to, to say, this is my number one, this is how I want to play next season, this is what we want to do, maybe we just need to say, do you know what, mate, actually you are a professional manager, maybe you know slightly more than what we do. He, he, he knows that master plan. I'm going to put it out there, like, uh, Phil, what, what, what do you think? Do you think we need to trust Rodgers more than what we do just now? I think we're still very early in the transfer window to to call our business as it stands, right? Um, and I think a lot's going to be defined what we do with the actual Suarez money because I, I, I thoroughly believe that we had a pot of about 60 million to spend regardless of the Suarez sale. And with the Suarez sale, we may not spend all of it because they might want to keep some back to January to see what's happening and where they are at that point in time. But, you know, what we sign to replace the assists and the goals from Suarez when he goes um, and what we do to improve the defence... and. Uh, Parking the names that are being mentioned, right? If, if if you look at the squad and look at who we signed and, and just leave Suarez aside, our bench already is a hell of a lot stronger than it was last year and, and it needs to be because we're gonna have we're gonna be challenging on two fronts and that gives me fifty three games is, is probably yeah. the minimum that Liverpool's gonna play next season. And if, if, and, if and, and that, that that's done from our calculation that Dan Kennett provided when we did our transfer committee pod. Yeah. Um so and for fifty three games and if we've got people coming in with the same type of quality, barring Suarez, yep. which is a worry, but the same type of quality, it, it, you know, you might say Bertrand, well, well, he's not better than Flanagan. Um, you might say Lalana, well, what, what the fuck does he do? The other players that we've got, like Sterling, don't do. All of these types of things, it starts to then add up to then say, well, hang on, maybe there is something behind here. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and that's and that's it. Like if you like exactly what you said, what does Lalana do that Sterling doesn't do? Well, actually, we need two Sterlings, if you know what I mean. We need we bring a Markovic in. We need Markovic, and we need a Coutinho, and we need but we need the options. We need something that if if, if we're playing a certain way in a match and we're using pace and pace isn't working, we need to be able to switch to maybe a bit of guile if somebody's parked nine ten across the front of our box. That's why you have Lambert there. He gives us a different option to storage up front because he can play with his back to goal. He can score play, but he's also technically. Prof- and when I saw the links with Boney today I was like to myself you know what if, if we're changing our style slightly to have a real central focus to our 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 or the diamond whatever way we're going to set up to play with these players you know you will need more than just two central forwards and be, purely because Sturridge is not the most robust player it's a bit like Gagger he's not, he's not robust enough in, in squad terms for the amount of games that we're going to play and you need a level of robustness in the players to get you through the season and it's like we need to improve obviously the quality that we have from the bench and the squad and the squad in general because we need 18, 19 force team players of force team standing of, of an equal to level standing that if you take one out when they come in for the Premiership game that they can deliver results and that to me gives me that glimmer of hope that there is something going on and then we, we I, I, I thoroughly believe we're going to see one big proper big signing and, and I'm not talking about a 25 million for Lovren or a 20 million for Boney I'm talking looking at something breaking our record so that Andy Carroll stops being our top uh, our, our record signing and maybe a stupid bid for Marco Rouse a 41 or a 42 million pound bid that Dortmund just can't refuse because they know his bio clause drops to 30 million next season and you, you put it over to the player and you say you come and you be our new Luis Suarez and you become the, the darling of Liverpool uh, you know and, and, and take that focal point someone at that, at, of that calibre and, and there's not many so we'll know about it soon very quickly when it, when it begins to happen so th- for me there's definitely hope um, as much as uh, as you look at the names you go Jesus at, at times but you know there, there is hope and they seem to be addressing the areas that we needed to address as well they're looking at full backs they're looking at centre backs and they're looking at defensive midfielders regardless of names they are looking at the, the right areas and there's even mentioned that we're looking to get a quality backup goalkeeper and that gives me hope John somebody's uh, taken Phil and replace him with some positive chap here. I don't know what's going I, on. I, I know. And I, I'm a little bit scared and afraid. Everything is awesome. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, um, it, maybe it's because we've got pre-season coming up next week. I mean, maybe shifting onto that slightly. Um, we're going to wrap up in a minute, but pre-season, I think, is it next week or the week after? Um, Anfield Index is actually going to be uh, covering that some way somehow we're not quite sure how yet but we are covering it I, I, uh, I, know, I know how you're covering it because I was helping Gags out in terms of what he needed when he gets over to the States <laughs> <laughs> sorry Gags I know you know why that name shit but there you go so so yeah Gags is going to be um, out in the US um, covering all the matches he's maybe going to be doing a couple of podcasts out there yeah. he wouldn't pay my flights the bastard <laughs> <laughs> So um, uh, I'm. Would he not pay uh, yours, John? He's paying for mine. Oh, oh you know. Well, okay, that, that's it. You know. <laughs> oh, oh, no, he's, oh, he's, he's oh, not really. He's I, not really. I've been doing this fucking bend. I promise to help him out. I'm not doing it anymore. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. On a serious note, though, I mean, preseason is coming up. I, I, I know you can't read too much into preseason, but Trev, coming to you, I think the interesting one for me is is the quality of opposition we're playing. Um, this preseason, we've got a curtain raiser at Anfield against Borussia Dortmund, so that's something I'm really interested to see because I, I worry about, about us against teams like that. Then we're playing Olympiacos, AC Milan, so so maybe not the teams that they were a couple of years ago, but then uh, obviously Manchester City as well. 
it, it, it does feel like that this is a pre-season specifically designed to get, to prepare us for the Champions League. I think that's a fair shout, John. And and to be honest, when they go badly, people dismiss them and say, "Oh, pre-season, you know, pre-season, who cares?" But if you think of last year, it was pretty pretty solid and we got to introduce a few uh, good players actually over the last two summers if I recall correctly and the performances were solid and and, and, and we got to see runouts from you know uh, up and comers and I'm, I'm hoping to see the likes of Jordan Ibe in, in this preseason and, and that kind of thing and like you say when the standard of the opposition is good you know that even if it is the lower down members of their squad they're still going to be uh, high quality players and it will get us into that kind of um, uh, Champions League mentality and if we can get a couple of back-to-back wins it does help there's no two ways about that psychological side of the season was massive for us last year anyone who argues that is, is missing the point completely uh, you know and you talk you talked early on about trust and trust in Brendan look he's earned that and he's earned the right to go and experiment with a few different systems now in this preseason. I think to touch on what Phil was talking in the last point as well you know we will have to adjust we will have to uh, come up with different ways of working that doesn't revolve around the little magician that we had. And pre-season is going to be vital for that and getting our players back and experimenting. So, yeah, no, look, it's really exciting. And, and as you say, the high quality of opposition should hopefully help. And, and, Col- it, and Colin Pascoe shorts. That's and Colin Pascoe shorts, absolutely. Uh, just one final thought from you. Um, Pre-season, obviously, a chance for some of the younger players to potentially um, shine. Dave, um, who are you hoping that is going to really shine in this pre-season and maybe ends up staying at Liverpool throughout the season who may otherwise be loaned out? Ryan Bertrand. Uh, a... <laughs> well, Ryan Bertrand, if we sign Ryan Bertrand, he's my nomination to be this year's Iago Aspas, where he does well against like a League One team and starts fondling themselves over him. Um the two I'm looking at are Jordan Ibe, as one of the lads mentioned, and Thiago Alori, because I, I genuinely think he could be really, really special. Um, but I, I generally just don't pay any attention to pre-season matches because all the errors are run out. As you said, like I, I full faith in Rodgers as a coach, and he has earned the right to do whatever he wants when he, when he puts that team out in the pitch. If he wants to play three at the back, he can play three at the back. If he wants to play seven at the back, he can play seven at the back. He's earned the right to do that. And like before all the... Silly, silly people that I just ignore now get on me, get at me on Twitter about being negative and not having faith in Rogers, and Rogers can improve everybody and all that horseshit. When you were calling for Rogers to be sacked in his first six months, I was the one writing about how he was going to be great for us long term. Just remember that I, I just don't have faith in him as a talent spar. That's fine. A lot of managers the same. I don't think Rafa had a great eye for talent either, but he was a great manager. Um, but yeah, preseason will be fun. The Dortmund game will be great. It's going to be a shame that Marco Royce is out injured. Um, as Phil mentioned, like he would be a dream signing if you could convince him. I, I don't think he could this year. Maybe next year. But uh, regardless, like for me, preseason will be about getting the young players in and, and seeing what they can do. I Belori, um, Suso apparently is going to get a chance before a decision is made on his future, um, which is kind of contrary to some reports. The other one I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing a bit of is uh, is Jordan Rossiter. Um, there's a chance he might get a couple of runouts, and mm-hmm. that'd be great experience for him. And it'll give us a chance to look at one of the players who's hopefully going to make up, you know, our, our midfield in in future years and and for a long time to come. 
Can I just yeah. throw one in, John? I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, per- personally, I'm, I'm, ho- I'm hoping that Ryan McLaughlin gets a good run in preseason because I think I was, I was just going to mention him because yeah. he he was the darling of the academy for a long time, wasn't he? Yeah, and he did uh, he did great he great did great things at Barnsley as well last year, um, and it, the fans were raving about him in terms of his loan spell that he had. So it'd be great to see him, especially given the right back situation that we have. Namely, Glenn Johnson, and um, also be good to see how Andre Wisdom has progressed as a right back because he was excellent for Derby over the course of last day. Season. Andre, we want yeah, day Andre, day Andre yeah, Glenn. I'm telling you, it's the show. All the Dre's. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that's probably who I'm looking forward to seeing in pre-season. Oh, and lastly, Trev, you, you, you're kind of person who that, who you're looking to to um, obviously spot from pre-season and hope that they do well and earn a chance. To I'd like I'd like to see a bit of Jordan Rossiter. Um, He's just a super footballer. Um, he looks to have the lot, and I, I just, I think, if he could make it, I think it, there'd be an awful lot of happy, happy scousers, and I'd be a happy Irishman. So Jordan Roster for me, if he, if he makes, it, I'd love to see him. Oh, I have one more actually uh, on the same kind of um, age group as Roster is Pedro Chiravella, uh, the Spanish kid, just mm-hmm. signed his professional contract. While some very, very stupid people out there will try and tell you that top clubs are moving away from defensive midfielders, they're not. And this kid is an absolute worldie in the making. He's one of the best young defensive midfielders I've ever seen. There you go. So you had it here first. So, look, thanks very much to Phil Casey and Trevor Downey for coming on from the Day Trippers. We, we, we will try and do some stuff together. Absol- over the season absolutely sure. John absolutely sure. and, and look obviously want to plug the day tripper stuff so the website which is excellent the podcast which is excellent Trev writes every day in life so you know <laughs> just, just get on these amazing articles because they are out there and, 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 and you know obviously our stuff that we do as well so we'll be doing a lot lot more So can I, can I just say before we go I want no more part of these collaborations unless Phil agrees to be his normal miserable bastard self <laughs> I, I, I can't be the only miserable one on here Phil you're letting me down. Fra- frankly Dave you were a bit upbeat as well tonight I'm disappointed <laughs> I, in you fella I thought to be the two positive guys there Trev and John and myself and Phil had hold down the miserable bastard side Dave Phil let me down so I'm all by myself all, all, all I'm saying mate is stick on everything is awesome from the Lego movie and I swear to God all, all negativity goes out the window <laughs> no, it's, it, it, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable it's impossible it's impossible to feel bad <laughs> well look it's been the Anfield Index podcast thank you and see you next week goodbye <laughs> <laughs>